And now um, it's time for children, who, any children who wish to, uh, to go to Sunday school. They can stay in the main service if, if they prefer, uh, but if they'd like to go to Sunday school, uh, they can do so now. And uh, please could the rest of us, if, you, if you'd like to, um, turn with me to um, the Bible again. Um, uh, this time, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 9 and reading from verse 1 and if you wish to follow this is on page 1150 page 1150 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1 Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come and come with me and find that you are not ready, we'd be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you to, to you and arrange in advance for the gift you had promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction. The point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And it's that phrase at the end there, God loves a cheerful giver, that I want to particularly think about this morning. But let's now pray and ask God to help us. Lord, thank you for this opportunity now to consider your word together. Please, Lord, help me to be able to teach your word really helpfully. And please, Lord, at the same time, be at work in each one of us to enable us to understand your word and also to enable us to believe your word and to receive it, that we might uh, truly know you and that we might also serve you in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in these uh, morning services, when I've been speaking, um, we've been going through this letter of Paul to the second letter of Paul 
to the Corinthians. And um, in chapters 8 and 9, there is a fairly extended section about uh, giving. Now, if you have been coming to the church for quite a while, you'll know that that, um, I very rarely talk about money and about giving because most of my time I'm going through systematically different parts of the Bible and and most of the time the Bible is talking about other subjects. Uh, so if, you, if you're here for the first time, I hope you don't think, oh, that church always got about money, because actually we don't always got about money at all. But because we've come to a part of the Bible that does talk about giving, obviously I can't skip over it. We, we, got to actually need, we need to actually deal with it um, as, as, we, as, we, um, as we look at it. And the great thing that we, that we learn from the, this section this morning is that God doesn't actually say to us, you've got to give X amount of money or a certain proportion of money. And, you know, if you don't give that proportion of money, then you're going to be in trouble with God or you're going to be in trouble with, with, um, with the pastor or something like that. No, the point that we get from this passage is that what we give is something which is entirely voluntary, which we decide before God, in the privacy of our homes, in the privacy of our hearts, before God. And God wants us to only give what we want to give. To only give what we are really glad to give. And that if there's a sense in which if we sort of giving, you know, with our hand up behind our back, we're twisting, arm twisted, you know, we think, oh, I've got to give. Well, in a sense, it'd be better not to do that. Because we should be giving what we really want to give. Now, we see this uh, in, 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 in a couple of verses. Uh, basically, uh, um, we see it in, in verse uh, 5, for example. The apostle says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. So, you see, what's happened was that um, the Paul had, had learned that the church in Jerusalem had fallen on very hard times. The people were very, very poor there. There'd been famines and, and difficulties there. And Paul had gone around the Roman Empire planting churches in what we would today call Turkey and what we today call Greece. And it, those churches were made up mainly of non-Jews. And the people in those churches were really quite prosperous. They were doing quite well. So, Paul said to those churches that he'd planted, look, your mother church, as it were, back in Jerusalem, the people there are really poor. Would you be willing to make, get a, put a gift together to, to help to relieve their poverty? And the churches said, yes, yes, we want to do that. And 
the, the reason why they wanted to do that, firstly because these were their fellow believers, they wanted to help their fellow believers, but also because they wanted to show that they were one with, with the believers in Jerusalem. Most of the believers in Jerusalem were Jews. And most of the believers in the, in, in the, in the churches in what we would call Turkey and Greece uh, were, were non-Jews, were Gentiles. So they wanted to show, yes, we are one with our brothers and sisters. And, and they wanted to, so they wanted to bring this gift. And so on the basis of that, Paul said, okay, great. This, we're going to get this collection together. We're going to take it over to Jerusalem. But he wanted to be sure he was going to go then go to he was going to go to Corinth, which is one of these churches, and he was going to go and pick up that gift. But he wanted to make sure that what they promised was actually be there. He didn't want to turn up and then oh sorry oh, you know God find quickly get the money together. So so he wanted to be sure that what they promised they that they had ready for for him. So he was going to send uh, some people from Macedonia, which is sort of what. what what today we'd call North Greece, and he was going to get send them in advance to make sure that everything's ready. But he didn't want to do this so that they were thinking, "Oh, we've got to find that money." No, he said, it, it, "So that it may be ready as a willing gift, so that what you actually want to give is there." Not as an exaction. It's not, he's not sending the tax man around, you know, the spiritual tax man, to get the money off you. No, no, no. It's so that what you've said you want to give, you will have ready. Now, then also then, look at, look at verse 7. He says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. See, this is entirely voluntary. You must, each one must decide to give as he has decided in his own heart. Not as laid down by, by their spiritual leaders. You've got to give this, you've got to give that. No, each one must decide as he has decided in his own heart. Not reluctantly, nor under compulsion. Now, unfortunately... Um, there are churches out there which call themselves Bible-believing churches. They call themselves, quotes, evangelical churches, which sadly don't really go by what this verse, or they don't in practice do what this verse says. And, you know, they put those who attend their meetings under very great pressure to come up with money. Um, and um, sometimes these churches are actually run by multinational, conglom- multinational conglomerates. And what you find is that the, 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 the branches in, in, in like countries like Britain are milked for money to send back to the head office, back to the head branch, back, back in, whether it be, you know, some other country. And, 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 and you have sometimes... Poor people who are in the church, sometimes they, they're selling their, their laptop they need for, for their studies or something, or they're, they're, you know, they're, they're putting themselves into great difficulty in order to, because they feel this pressure from the leadership all the time, come on, you've got to give this money, you've got to give this money. 
and and they don't they don't give gladly they don't give willingly and and um, some of you might have seen some newspaper articles in in um, in the Guardian this weekend this week of, of one such church where where um, people have set up a survivors group for people who've you know young people who've been in this church and they 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 they've they come under this pressure to 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 give all this money and they've and and then and and they've 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 been shown horrible images of what happens to people when they leave the church and 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 they've been quite traumatized by their experience and it's it's truly dreadful what's happened and and you might call it a form of abuse really because it's young people who are being you know pressurized to to uh, to 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 give and that is so far a million miles away from what Paul is talking about here. Each one must decide as he has decided in his heart. You give what you want to give. Not, so no, you, you, you know, with that sort of situation I just described, people might come up with the money and then they're thinking, why did I do that? Why did I give that money? You know, I've been pressurized to do something I didn't want to do. And they're regressing up. But if you... If you're giving freely and gladly, you say, I'm really glad I gave that money. You never after think, oh, that was a terrible mistake. Because you say, no, that was the right thing. I wanted to do that. And that's how it should be. And uh, then he says, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the actual word that's used there um, is the, the Greek word, that Paul uses is the word from which we get our English word hilarious. <laughs> God loves a hilarious giver. Whoa, you're giving you. It's wonderful. I suppose it's I suppose it's sort of Christian equivalent of Santa Claus, you know, sort of whoa, presents everybody, give, 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 and you're really happy to give. And this is the thing, this is this is what God wants us to be. He wants us to be really cheerful to give. Really glad to think, oh no, gotta find some money for the offering. Quick, you know. No. You're so glad to give. Wow, I've got this fantastic opportunity. And and afterwards, you think, oh, that was a great thing. You know, you know, you know. If you start to go to some, I don't know, some really nice party or something like that, and you think, and you say, and afterwards, you have, oh, that was a wonderful do. I really enjoyed that. Well, that's the sort of attitude we should have after. You know, we should think, oh, I really enjoyed doing that giving. Oh, that's great. That was wonderful to be able to do that giving. Now, if 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 so the, 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 the giving that should not be under any pressure and under any compulsion but it should be something which we are really glad to do now you must say how could anybody be glad to, to give I mean how could anybody be actually glad to see their money go somewhere else I mean none of us naturally would be glad to give, would we? But Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. Now, by the way, when he says God loves a cheerful giver, he's not saying, you know, it's, it's, it's love according to how much you give. You know, God, the more you give, the more God will love you. No, no, no. It's not, it's not that you, you earn love with God. No, the love that God has for us is, is not dependent upon us, as we've been seeing. It's based upon his grace, grace upon his kindness. But when it says God loves a cheerful giver, what it's saying is, God really you know, wants us to be cheerful as we give. He wants, he wants us to, you know, he's pleased when, when our giving is cheerful. But how can anybody 
be glad to give. I mean, humanly speaking, that's impossible, isn't it? We, we would naturally be really glad to give. So how, how is it that, that, that we can be glad to give? Well, what I want to do this morning is to, is to give us some reasons why a true Christian who knows the Bible will be glad to give. And um, so uh, let me give you some, some reasons now. First of all, a true Christian will be glad to give, he'll be a cheerful giver because he is so grateful to God for what he's received in Christ. Now, we were just reading in earlier in our service, for example, from Ephesians chapter 2 about the great grace the great kindness that God has shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the true Christian has had his eyes opened to see spiritual things. Before, he might have said, oh, I'm all right, I'm a decent bloke, I've never done anybody any harm. But when the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life, you realize, oh, I'm a terrible sinner. I've broken God's laws. I deserve to go to hell. And you realize, I can't save myself. I can't do anything to rescue myself from this terrible position. But then, when, you, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, he enables you to see also that God has provided an answer. And that answer is in Jesus. And you, re- and you realize that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a good religious teacher or, or a, a fine example, that Jesus is the Son of God. And you realize also that, that Jesus came to this world and he died in the place of sinners. And when, you, when the Holy Spirit works in your life, you, you realize, Jesus died for my sins. My sins have been paid for. And you, you, come to, you put your trust in Jesus and you, 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 you receive the Holy Spirit. And as we're reading in Ephesians, you're made alive. Where once you were dead to, in sins. And now you want to please God. You want to, you want to live your life for God. Where before you just wanted to live for yourself. And you realize, once you become a Christian, you realize, oh, God chose me before the creation of the world. God, God's loved me since before I was born and he's going to carry on loving me through all his eternity. And you see your life starting to change. You don't want to sin anymore. You want to please God. And as you read in your Bible, you realize that, wow, I'm the heir of tremendous blessings in the age to come. I'm a, a spiritual billionaire. I've got the whole of the new heavens and the earth coming to me. 
Well, when you start to realize these things, you think, well, I want to serve God. I want to show my gratitude to God. How, what? And you start to say to yourself, what can I do to show my love for God? And then you realize, well, one thing you can do, apart from living your whole, you, obviously you live your whole life for God, you, you start to serve him in every area of your life as, as a, as a, as a as a parent, as a, as a, you know, if you're married, as a, to your spouse, uh, uh, as a, if you're at work, you work for to the glory of God. But also, you say, well, I want to show my love for God by giving materially. You remember the three? We're coming up to Christmas. We know that we'll be thinking about the the, the, the magi. They learned this king had been born. Well, what did they do? Well, they wanted to bring gifts, didn't they? Gold, incense, and myrrh. Why? Well, he's so special. He's done so much for us. And this is what this is the natural inclination that somebody who's been born again will have. So somebody who's been born again will be delighted to give. Will be cheerful to give because, wow! This is the way that I can show my love to the Lord. This is the way I can express my gratitude to God for him. The true believer won't resent giving such gifts. You know, won't say, oh, why did I do that for? The true believer will be, will be thinking, well, actually, whatever I give is only a tiny token. There's a hymn uh, by Isaac Watts which says, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And one, of the, one verse in that hymn says this, Were the whole, were the whole realm of my nature mine, that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So a true believer will be really glad to give because... He knows that God has done so much for him. Now, second thing. A true believer will be a cheerful giver because he knows the value of the people who will receive that gift. See, this is a a collection for other believers that Paul is talking about here. Notice how he describes this collection. Um, He says in chapter 9, verse 1, it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. These believers are saints. Go back to chapter 8, verse 4. He says about the people in Macedonia that they Earnestly, they, beg, they were begging earnestly for the favour of taking part in the relief of the saints. The saints. Now, who were these people? Were these, was it there were particular individuals in, in the church in Jerusalem who were, like, specially good and, and so they became saints? No. Clearly what he's saying is that all the true believers 
in Jerusalem were saints. In fact, not only the believers in Jerusalem were saints, but actually the believers in Corinth themselves also were saints. If you go back to the beginning of this letter, back to chapter 1, and look at who, to whom it's addressed, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. All the saints. So we see that all true believers are saints. Now, this is, of course, one of the many areas where the teaching of the Bible is very different from the Roman Catholic religion. Because the Roman Catholic religion says that saints are those Catholics who've lived a very holy life and who are therefore qualified to go straight to heaven as against the ordinary Catholic who may well land up in what they call purgatory. And uh, what is said is that um, a saint uh, can be prayed to once the saint has died, this so-called saint, and um, this saint can, can do... can prayers to the saint can produce miracles and uh, to be categorized as a saint what has to happen is that uh, there has to be a proposal that this person lived a very holy life and then the the the, the vatican does a does an investigation into that person's life and also there have to be testimonies of miracles that were done by that through praying to that person once that person had died and if if it's agreed that this person lived a holy life and that miracles happened as a result of that person, and that person then gets, quotes canonized, gets called a saint. And then thereafter, uh, everybody, all good Catholics, are encouraged to pray to that saint. Well, there's all sorts of things wrong with that. The very fact this idea of praying to anybody other than God is completely wrong. Um, but... It's wrong anyway because the Bible says that every true believer is a saint. What does that mean? Well, a saint, the word saint means holy. A believer is holy, special, belonging to God, set apart from sin. Now you might say, hang on a moment, surely we're sinners. Aren't we sinners saved by grace? Well, yes, we are sinners. But the tremendous thing is that when somebody trusts in Jesus, that person is clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So that person is regarded by God as holy, as without sin, in terms of his standing before God as to whether he goes to heaven or hell. That person will be admitted to heaven because the, the perfection of Jesus has been placed upon that person. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the sins of those who believe were placed on Jesus, which means that the righteousness of Jesus is placed upon those who believe. 
So a believer is a saint, is holy, because he's been clothed with the holiness of Jesus. A believer is also a saint because once you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit, you're born again, and you have a new heart, new desires for God within you, holy desires for God. And a a believer also is a saint because what's happening is as this person grows in his or her faith, he or she is becoming more and more like Jesus, more and more holy. And ultimately, on that final day, those who believe will be completely holy. God has predestined that those who, who belong to him should be conformed to the image of his son. So, if you are a believer this morning, you're a saint. You're holy. And you're a child of God. You belong to God. You're one of Jesus' precious sheep for whom Jesus died. And that means that your brothers and sisters also are saints. They are special. So, think what that means in terms of giving. If you have the opportunity to give to other Christians, you're tremendously privileged because you could give to one of the Lord's saints, one or to several of the Lord's saints. What a privilege. So a true Christian understands this will say, will not begrudge giving to help the Lord's people. He will say, wow, what a privilege to be able to bless the saints. Now, thirdly, a true Christian will be a cheerful giver because he knows that as he sows, so he shall reap. Look at verse 6 now in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now this brings out a principle which is which is referred to in many places in scriptures that what you sow you also reap now of course you can see this as true in agriculture can't you those some of us have grown up in in agricultural situations and you know you put a lot of seed into the ground generally speaking you'll get a big harvest back if you put just a small amount of seed into the ground, you'll get just a small harvest back. Now, that's true as agriculture, but it's also true in terms of our spiritual lives. If we feed ourselves richly upon the word of God and we, and we 
uh, sow a lot spiritually will reap a strong knowledge of God. If you sow a lot in terms of your service of God, doing lots of evangelism, outreach, prayer, you will likely over time see people converted and the church growing. But that principle which applies to uh, Christian life generally is applicable here to giving. As we, if we sow sparingly, we will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And the point, the point, the Apostle Paul um, expands on this in uh, verses 8 to 11, which we will, God willing, think about a bit more in future weeks. But I'll just, probably next week, but I'll just read them to you now. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will result, will produce thanksgiving to God. As we sow, so we shall reap. God will provide for us so that we are able to continue to show kindness and generosity to others. So a true Christian will say, yes, I want to give. Because that way I can experience God providing for me so that I can continue to show love to others. And then fourthly, a true believer will be a cheerful giver because he knows that he will be rewarded at the resurrection. For the Christian, being saved is not, as we've seen through our works, it's not that we do certain good deeds and then you get a place in heaven because you've done good deeds. No. We who are saved are saved only on the basis of what Jesus did upon the cross. But the promise is that having been saved by grace, if we are generous, then we will be rewarded at the resurrection. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 2, Jesus said, When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. I tell you, they have received their reward. 
But when you give to the needy, do not let your right, left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. There will be eternal rewards for the believer who is given freely and gladly to those who are in need. Jesus said, if you give even so much as a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because they are my disciple, you certainly will not lose your reward. So we see then there are these four reasons why a true Christian will be a cheerful giver. First of all, because he knows God has been good to him and he wants to show kindness to him. Secondly, because he knows the value of other believers, that they are saints. And he wants to, he's delighted to be able to bless the saints. Thirdly, he will give because he knows that as he gives, as he sows, he will reap. And God will bless him in this life. And God will provide for his needs in this life as he is generous to others. And fourthly, because he knows that as he gives, he will be rewarded at the resurrection. Now, as we draw to a close, let me ask you this question. What sort of a giver are you? Are you a cheerful giver? And I challenge myself that. Am I a cheerful giver? May I suggest there are perhaps three types of givers. There's what you might call the minimalist giver. The person who will just about stick a fiver in a, in a collection box if it's put under his nose, and that's about as much as he will give, perhaps once in a blue moon, a minimalist giver. Then we might call... The miserable giver. <laughs> that person might be giving quite a lot. Maybe, might be, he maybe heard a teaching one of these times that he, uh, every Christian must give 10%. So, oh, I've got to give my 10%. And, you know, signs the form, does the direct debit, mm, look, does the cancer, oh, there's not that money gone again. A miserable giver. He's giving, but miserably. And then the third category is a cheerful giver. So minimalist giver, miserable giver, cheerful giver. Which are you? Are you a minimalist, a miserable, or a cheerful? Now, I don't know the answer to that question because I have no idea <laughs> what any of you does with your money. And, I'm, and I don't want to know what anybody does with your money. Uh, but you know. And God, more important, God knows. God knows if you're a minimalist, a miserable, or a cheerful. Now, if you're one of the first two, a, a minimalist or a miserable, could it be that perhaps you've never been saved? Could it be that these wonderful things I've talked about this morning, maybe you don't really want to give because you've never really understood the love of God for you. 
you've never really come to Christ for salvation. You've never really become a saint. And you don't know what it means to be a saint. Well, maybe, could it be perhaps that money is your idol? You say you believe in God, but could it actually be that you really are living for money? I suggest to you there are a lot of professing Christians who say they believe in Jesus, but actually they, their so-called faith in Jesus is a, is a means to an end of getting more money. Because their real God is money, not Jesus. And they're using Jesus as a way of getting more money. Is that you? Is, 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 is your God actually money? Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. You either love one and hate the other and, or hate the one and, and love the other. But you can't love money and Jesus at the same time. Which is your God? Do you maybe need to repent of idolatry? Repent of greed? Repent of making money your God? And do you actually need to actually come to Christ to be your saviour? If so, well, the great good news is that Jesus died on the cross so that sinners like you and sinners like me can be saved. And you could be saved today. Come to Jesus. Ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you your sins so that you can truly know him. And for any who are already Christians, but you're tempted perhaps to be a a minimalist giver or a miserable giver, well, remember these four things. Remember how blessed you are. Remember how valuable the Lord's people are. They are the saints. Remember that what you sow you'll reap. If you're generous, you will experience God being generous with you. And remember that there'll be blessing in eternity if you are generous. And I hope that, that well, these things will encourage you to be a cheerful giver, a glad giver, rather than a minimalist giver or a miserable giver. Well, may God write his words upon our hearts I'd like us to sing now um, uh, that hymn which I actually referred to just now uh, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died um,